And some of you, when you get out of bed, it's like, here's another day. And Lord, how do I do it? And hopefully these days of prayer will help you to maybe not answer the question of why did this happen? But more importantly, Lord, what are you teaching me? So I wanted to talk a little bit about how this talk came about. I I gave this at Malvern, but I've sort of added some points and subtracted some points from it. But, uh, you know, I was just starting to feel okay, and I thought I had enough energy to uh, help at Malvern. And Father Dan was like, come on, man, you got to do it. And I was like, I'm not feeling it, but I said, all right, I'll do it. And um, it just seemed like I was saying the day before, a couple days before the retreat, everything in my body started getting inflamed. And I was just like feeling miserable. And so I go to my computer the night before, and I'm like, all right, you know, it's, it's time to, you know, put your big pants on and let's get this thing ready and get ready for the, the talk. And I go to my computer and I hit the button and I look, all right, talk, and it's gone. Both of my talks, I spent hours on these things. They're completely gone. And I call Bill, I'm like, hey, how do you fix, you know, Microsoft Word? And he goes, did you save it? I'm like, I thought I did. And I just kind of slammed my computer and I decided to do what I do when I feel really bad. I was going to go to Chipotle. (laughs) So I, and I walked to Chipotle because I want to drive to Chipotle. It's a city and it takes longer to drive than walk a mile. And I'm just like completely bummed. And I, so I, I, my mom calls me as I'm walking and she goes, how are you doing? I said, I don't want to talk about it. And she said, you don't sound too good. I said, that's an understatement. And it was one of those moments where I was like, you know what? I just quit. I, I don't understand what's going on with my life. I'm miserable. I, I'm in this parish in the middle of the city. My talks are deleted. I, I, I just, I don't have energy to do anything. And I just started dumping on her. And she goes, okay. She goes, Larry, why don't you do this? Go to Chipotle. Get a burrito. Go to bed after you prayed a little bit. Get up in the morning and write a new talk. All right. Click. I go to Chipotle. I have a burrito. Actually, a bowl. I go home. I pray. And I just said, Lord, if you want me to do this, fine. I'm going to bed. I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And a lot of times people say things like, well, you're, you just sound like you're going through a Job experience. And you know what's funny? Like a lot of people, they'll say that. And here's, here's the problem. A lot of people have never really read the book of Job. I mean, seriously, I don't think you've read the book of Job. Or maybe you have. Or bits and pieces of it. But if you ever read it cover to cover, it's fascinating. So I sat down and I read the book of Job. And what dawned on me is everything I was saying to God, Job said to God. And everything I was feeling, Job experienced. And really, in the Bible, what Job is, it's an experience of, of this mystery is, why does God allow suffering when you are seemingly, and I say seemingly, feel like you're doing the right thing? So let's jump into it. And first is prosperity. Padre Prio had a quote. He said, the life of a Christian is nothing but a perpetual struggle against self. There is, listen to this, there is no flowering of the soul to the beauty of its perfection, except the price of pain. 
Now, I want to unpack that for a moment. What Padre Pius said is if you want to really be a saint, which I know everyone here, I recognize almost every face in this church, deep down in your heart, you want to be a saint. But have you ever thought about the cost of what it is to become a saint? Well, if we're going to be like Christ, we're going to have to go through some kind of trial. It was never promised to us that life would be great. What is promised to us is that if we have faith and trust in God, someday we'll never have to suffer forever. But I think most of us, we kind of have in our, our puny little minds this idea that we should be living the prosperity gospel like the Protestants preach. You know, because the Protestants, you know, like Joel Olstein, you know, my least favorite speaker, you know. I mean, he's very, he's very talented, right? But it's the same message. You know, if you just pray, right, and you have trust in the Lord, you're going to have a beautiful smile like me and a nice car and a beautiful wife and a wonderful health. And wonderful health. That's great, Joel. I got none of those things. I got a decent truck. It's all right. I don't have a wife. I'm in a lot of pain. So what, and my teeth aren't as nice as yours. So where did I go wrong? <laughs> but you look at Job. It starts off this way. He's living prosperity. And it says in the land of Uz, wherever that is, there lived a man whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright. So this guy is a good man. And it goes on to say that he feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He had one of ten. I'm one of ten. And he owned 7,000 sheep. He had everything. He had 7,000 sheep. Back then that was cool. <laughs> Today you probably have two sheep. and be like, all right, let's get rid of one. 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys. A large number of servants. And he was the greatest man among the people of the East. This guy was living the life of Joel Osteen. And you know, I, I look back and, you know, the first half of my, I mean, my life was just blessed. You know, I, I had great parents, I had great Catholic education. Um, I would say arguably some of the best years of my priesthood were here, the six years I was here, which was wonderful. Working with like awesome priests, great people. Uh, it was just, everything seemed pretty fun uplifting. Things look like I thought, I, I'm going to stay here and retire in La Plata. And, um, and I think too, like Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? He was probably pretty happy as a carpenter. He loved preaching. He loved the people. He was having a great time working miracles. You know, you think about saints like Isaac Jobs, you know, this great missionary. He loved his time as a young boy and as a seminarian, newly ordained. I'm going to go to the new world and, you know, just hang out with Indians and have fun. What happened to him? He got his fingers chewed off. And he ended up dying a brutal death. But everyone goes through a period where they live a life of prosperity. And I think if we look back, you know, think about when you were young, a kid, you didn't have a care in the world. You know, you get up, you ride your bike for six hours, eat dinner, ride your bike, watch some TV, 
be forced to pray the rosary, go to bed, and do it again the next day. Cheat on some tests, hide your report card, but life was great. But then notice that the devil walks in. And then everything gets thrown upside down. His whole life flips. And Job, who's living this awesome life, basically begins to live a life that's kind of hellish. And the question is, is well, let's look at the text. And the second point is that God sometimes, and I would say not sometimes, many times, permits a trial or a cross to enter into our life. And I'll get to why later. I mean, I'm not going to answer that question, but I'll get to some of the fruits of it. But let's look at Job. It said, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He says, look at him. Look at Job. He's such a good guy, isn't he? And there's no one on earth like him. Can you imagine if God said that about you? (laughs) There's no one on earth like you. Now we could say that maybe in another way, but he's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. But then Satan says this. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so his flocks and herds are spread to the land. So now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. What does the devil say to him? Well, of course he's happy. He's got 6,000 donkeys. Who wouldn't be happy? But he says, what if I got rid of his donkeys? What if I got rid of his children? What if I got rid of his work? Would he still love you? And then the unthinkable happens. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. What? I thought God's supposed to protect me. I thought God was supposed to say, hey, get behind him. Get away from my boy. But what does God say to him? All right, game on. I'm going to prove to you that my man Job has a lot more in him than you think. And I'm going to allow you to mess with him. And we're going to see how he turns out. You know, you think about the St. Michael prayer, right? Most of you probably know the story, but, you know, Leo XIII was uh, praying in his uh, chapel. Or was it Leo XIII? XIII, right? Whatever, Leo. (laughs) It's like, how do you, you know, it's like, once you get to 12, once you get a new name, right? Yeah. But anyway... He was praying mass in his, in his private chapel and apparently he passed out. And he had this vision. And in the vision, he saw Jesus and Satan speaking. This was in the 1800s, late 1800s. And basically the conversation was like, 
that God was saying, you know, like, in other words, the, the devil said, I will destroy your church. And Jesus is like, well, no, you can't, because the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then the devil said back to Jesus, well, give me a hundred years and more power. And then Jesus said, so be it. Now, a lot happened in those hundred years. And so what happened is Pope Leo, now Saint Leo, uh, composed the Saint Michael prayer and he asked every priest to pray it after mass. That's where it started. And he was scared about this vision he saw. And there's a lot that we could sit there and scratch our head is, well, if God is good, then why would he allow the devil to have a hundred years and more power? Well, the answer really is this, is to prove that God is always in control. And I think, brothers and sisters, that's one thing we have to keep in our mind is no matter what happens to us, God is in control. And I know the last 10 years or whatever, I mean, there's been so many crazy things that's happened in our church, our world. Shutdowns, viruses, strange things proposed by Vatican officials. You've probably been through trials, strange health problems, whatever. Why does it happen? So let's go back to the story here. So for me, I've always felt like and I think sometimes you probably feel like this too. Is like, do you ever feel like you have a target on your back where the devil has your number a little bit? And I've always, I mean, I've never been afraid of the devil, but I always knew he was out to get me. And I remember um, sort of in this first point, what happens? He loses, as Satan destroys all his flocks. And then the worst part is what? He allows all his children to die. And a servant runs back to Job and says, hey, did you hear what happened? Like, no, I didn't, I didn't click on the news. What happened? All your kids are dead. Your job, all your money's gone. I mean, Job literally in 24 hours lost everything except what? His health. And I, you know, I look back and, and I'm, I don't blame anybody and I, I don't look at it. But, you know, when that happened several years ago, when I was, went to give my little talk to some people over at the Catholic school about abortion and then it got flipped and I was called a bully and then they pulled me out of the school. I remember thinking there's got to be some other power at work where I'm trying to stick up for unborn babies and I get pulled out of my school it just didn't make any sense whatsoever and I remember for me like in terms of like like trauma that was one of the most traumatic things I've ever experienced in my entire life where you feel abandoned like where are you God I'm just trying to do your work and and, you know and Joe look at him I, I remember thinking to myself okay Things are going to get better. We're just going to have to reassess here. Make some moves. Move on. Pick up. Maybe move south. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) And you notice Job, and I was kind of optimistic. I said, I'm not going to let the devil beat me. And it says here in the word of God, 
Job's response is, naked I came from a mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave me, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And so what did Job do? He's like, all right, game on. Yeah, I lost everything. God's still my God, and things are still going to be okay. And, and I remember thinking, like, when they, they made the switch, I was like, you know, Sacred Heart's going to get a holy priest coming, Father Scott. You know, I'm going to go down south. I'm going to live by the river. I can hunt in my backyard. I'm like, things are looking good. But almost like Job, like the same thing happened kind of to me. And I, I don't say this, I'm doing to help you. It seems like the same thing that happened to Job happened to me. So first he loses his job, so to speak, or his family. And then... Satan goes back to God and says, in the presence of the Lord, I read the text. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted Job with, um, well, basically, uh, Job goes, uh, God goes, uh, Satan goes back to Job and basically God says, see, he didn't curse you. And then Satan says to him, yeah, but I haven't touched his health. And so God once again says, okay, fine. Go for it. And so it says in the text, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow, she's a nice wife. <laughs> he replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. <laughs> Shall we accept good things from God and not trouble? Let's unpack that. So, you know, kind of in my witness story, I, um, I went down south. And I remember, like, things were going well, but I don't know. I, I felt like something was going wrong. And my, my back started hurting, but it wasn't just my back. I had these weird symptoms. And I'm like, I was sitting in mass and like people were like, why do you keep going like this during mass? I'm like, I don't know, I, there's something wrong. And I, I went to all kinds of chiro chiropractors, modern doctors, you know, surgeons. I mean, I hit every single type of person. And no one could really tell me what it was. I'm like, all right, you know, I mean, bad back, we can live with that. And then what happened was, I remember, I went on a bike ride. It was one of the training rides. And I remember my neck was burning. And I turned to one guy. He says, is it normal for your neck to burn from your head down to, you know? He's like, no. <laughs> and I was like, uh-oh. Something's going wrong. And, and it, got, it, got, it got worse and worse and worse. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, I remember one day in particular. I was in my rectory. And I'm, I'm um, no, I'm went to the, to the office to sign checks for my secretary, and my hand started shaking. And I just started tearing up. And she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. I'm in so much stinking pain. And I just stared out the window. I couldn't move. And it just became evident. People were like, something's wrong with them. And I, I kept thinking, you know, trying medicine, this and that, and nothing was working. And, you know, sometimes you think, well, we'll just give it time. And then what happened was, I remember it was the day of the ride for vocations. And I was feeling really, really bad. And then um, I said, I'm not going to do the ride. And 
um, helping out with mass, and I started to get blurry-eyed. And then I remember, like, I started getting dizzy. I'm having a communion, and I just went down, and I held the, the ciborium up, and I said, give out communion, and I just basically curled up in the, in the fetal position. And I just cried out to God. I'm like, God, help me. And I remember one of the guys at St. Peter Claver, one of the leaders, he's, he got on the phone, called 911, called the ambulance. And he whispered in my ear, he says, God has big plans for you. All right. I go to the hospital, they check me out, they don't understand what's wrong with me. I go back, it's an empty parking lot. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I can't sit, I can't do anything. My friend picks me up, Father Drew, the next day. He says, pack your bags. We're going to Mongranza. I said, why? He said, I called, I called the diocese. I said, I don't want to leave. He says, you got to leave. And then I spent two months just convalescing. And it just was one of those things that where our Lord allowed me to enter into the school of pain. And I remember so many times I would tell you guys, you know, offer it up. Suck it up. <laughs> you know, be a man. And it seems like everything I told you, I was eating my words. And so let's talk a little bit about sort of the problems that have come with pain. And when it doesn't end. And I'm not talking just about physical pain. You know, like a woman who's unable to have a child and she keeps having miscarriages. A marriage that just doesn't seem to get any better. A job that you absolutely hate. And you try everything to make it work and it's just you dread going to work. A problem with your children. That you just, you know, bring them around and you're trying to help them and things don't get better, they get worse. And you're thinking, God, I'm praying. I'm doing your work. Send me something. Send me hope. Now, what's hope, brothers and sisters? This is very important. Hope is the theological virtue whereby we have confidence that God will give us what we need to go to heaven. Hope is not a promise that we will be set free from earthly struggle. Now, what happens when we pray for something and it doesn't happen and it gets worse. We start to fall into discouragement and we start to lose what is the most fundamental virtue we need to get to heaven, which is hope. Mother Angelica says, faith gets you going, hope keeps you going. And love gets you to the end. But hope is important because if you lose hope, you lose everything. It's kind of like game over. And so really what happened is, now I want, I want you to look at Job. Job in the first two attacks, right? He's doing okay. Then his wife kind of messes with him. But then Job gets to the point. I want you to, I want to quote Job. Listen to what Job says. His patience is wearing very thin. He says, why did I die at birth? 
Come forth from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me? Why is the light given to him who in mis- is in misery and life to the bitter in the um, to the bitter in soul? In other words, God, He's saying what we say in pain when it's unrelenting. Basically, He's saying, God, if you love me, what's up? Where are you? Where's this going? Now, I want you to think in your own minds in front of our Lord about the darkest part of your life. And maybe some of you, maybe you're sitting in that right now. You go to prayer and you don't feel anything. You don't hear anything. There's a problem going on in your family and you've been praying. It gets worse. And so Job begins to lose hope. And what happens is, is he begins to get angry. He's holding on, but he's losing his patience, he's tired, he's hurting, and his life seems to be upside down. And I found this where I remember, like, after my second surgery, and, you know, this doctor put these really nice titanium discs in my neck. In day six, the pain came back. I remember like turning to my mom and said, it didn't work. He says, oh no, give it time. I knew it didn't work. I'd get dizzy. I feel like fainting. I was tired. I didn't have my energy. And so what happens is, and I got angry. I, I was really angry. And I was just like, God, I just want to be with my people. I just want to hear confessions. I just want to preach. I just want to go on ski trips with kids. I want to lead souls to heaven. What are you doing? And, you know, so what happened is I I started this chronic pain group under the influence of someone sitting here. And I've learned so much about life through these other people. And I've learned that there are people out there that they live life with very, very mm, less than favorable circumstances on a daily basis where every single day they wake up praying for the grace just to be able to do their work, take care of their kids, and get to bed without passing out. Everyone in my group has that problem. You know, one lady in particular, I won't name her, she's had her whole spine fused from from head all the way to the bottom, and she has chronic burning headaches in in her head, right? She was an athlete. She's a marathon runner. She can't walk out of her house. She hasn't been masked in six months. She can't go in the car because when she goes in the car, it jolts her head and she just has these incredible flare-ups. And one of the things I think that, that people go through when they're going through chronic pain or a chronic cross, I'll call it, is anger turns inward. Now, the spiritual definition 
of depression is anger turned inward. And for the first time in my life, I, brothers and sisters, you know me, I've never been depressed in my life, ever. I remember, I, for the first time in my life, I was depressed. I was utterly depressed. I did not want to live. Like, I mean, I wanted, but I, I just, I didn't want to live under these circumstances. Every day I'd get up, and by the time it was 10 o'clock, I wanted to go back to bed. And good old Monsignor Pope, man, he's been, he's been my Simon of Cyrene. And he's like, come on, man, let's do Mass. And the two of us would kind of like stumble up and do Mass. We'd have our lunch. He'd give me a sermon. <laughs> I'd take a nap, which I didn't like taking naps because you feel like a wimp taking a nap. I'm like, guys don't take naps. Well, maybe you do. <laughs> You know, and then I tried to do some exercise. I knew it was getting really bad. This is when I got really down. Someone says, hey, have you ever tried aqua therapy? I'm like, what's that? Well, you go to the pool and, you know, you do these exercises in the water. I said, all right, I'll try it out. So I go to the pool. This is, a, this is before I was in D.C. And uh, I said, do you have the aqua therapy class? And like, yeah, why? I'm like, well, I, I want to do it. And she's like, okay, back there. And so I went back there. The average age was about 80. <laughs> and I was the only male in the pool. <laughs> and I thought to myself, okay, life is over. <laughs> I'm playing with noodles in a pool. <laughs> I go back to Segre, how was your thing? I was like, shut up. So I was in desolation. You know, so you're going to have to, go, sometimes you're going to go through this. And we'll talk more about, tomorrow's going to be more about, like, how do you deal with it? And that's, let's save that. But I'm just, let's just sort of kind of stick with Job. So the next thing, next to you, is probable causes of pain. Now, this is another thing that happens is, you know, well, well-intended people, right? They always come up to you and they'll give you like the latest cure for everything, right? Uh, I can't tell you how many different vitamins I've eaten in a year. They're probably going to find some weird tumor on the side of my stomach from all the conglomeration of the mixing of different vitamins, right? And they're saying... I remember one lady said, oh, just, just eat cucumbers. <laughs> cucumbers? One guy told me to start doing deadlifts. I was like, deadlifts? I don't know if that's a smart move. It will build up your spine. I tried it. And I ate the cucumbers. <laughs> but you notice the friends, they come up to them, and it says this. There's three friends. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And I got to tell you, their advice wasn't helpful. And I think too, brothers and sisters, you got to realize, and maybe you live with someone with chronic pain. Check yourself before you become the expert in chronic pain. Because here's the one thing I've realized. No one understands a person's pain except the person going through it. No one understands. And that's one of, that's the hell of it. 
It, no one seems to understand what you're going through. And you feel like you're crazy. Hey, you look great, Father. Yeah, great. You see me at 9 o'clock. You know, and so what did he say? So Eliphaz, this is what he says. Your words have supported those who have been stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. You did such good work. But now trouble comes to you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? What does he tell him? He tells Job, hey, offer it up. Now remember Father Jack used to hate that phrase? Now I understand what he means. Telling someone else that isn't experiencing it to offer it up. What you could say is maybe, I, know what, I don't know what you're going through. But I pray they have the strength to deal with it. Because only a person themselves can offer up that pain. You can't tell other people to offer up their pain. My mother used to tell me that all the time. And now I realize it just is a Catholic way of saying, be quiet. <laughs> it's a very polite, pious way of saying, shut up. Why are you complaining? Next, his friend tells him to follow him. If you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to the prosperous state. Your beginnings will seem humble, so prosperous will your future be. You know, a lot of times people will tell you why it happened. You worked out too much. You had it coming to you. You got COVID. You got the jab. And I took the jab reluctantly. I, the only reason I took it is they, they wouldn't let me in the nursing home. And I was like, I don't care. I got to take care of people. And you know what? Maybe I'm sick because of it. But man, when people would tell me that, it was a dagger. Well, you shouldn't have taken it. Well, you don't take care of souls. What do you know? And how do you know that's what it is? My intention was to save souls. And if God wants me to get sick of it, so be it. I mean, it's just one of the things you have to live with. You shouldn't work out so much. But then you can start thinking, this is where it gets dangerous. When you start thinking that you're going through pain because God's punishing you. And I think that's what people go through. Is that you think, and I thought this, maybe it's something from my past that I did wrong. God's punishing me for some reason. Right? And that's what this second friend said. But you know, here's the thing is that Jesus Christ actually allows suffering to do something with us. And really what he's trying to do, what he's done to me slowly, is transform my heart into his heart. And the other thing too, which I'll get in my last point, is sort of you can't look at suffering like the Jewish people looked at it. And how did the Jewish people look at suffering? If you're unhealthy or something goes wrong, 
your health falls apart or your kids go awry, it's your fault. I know a lot of you are very holy people and your kids are not really living holy lives. And maybe God wants to say to you, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. But what God says when we're in, in suffering is when we ask why Jesus or God doesn't answer, he simply says, trust. Can you trust me? Can you see that I have a plan for you? Now, this kind of goes to the last point with the providence of God. You know, there's a whole section where Job sort of has it out with God. And he basically says, I'm paraphrasing. You know, God, I was a righteous man. God, I always wanted to do your will. God, I've never really offended people. God, I've done this. God, I've done that. What's up? And then, you know, there's three fundamental questions that Job asked God. One is Job 3.11, if you want to look at it. The second one is Job 9.2. And the third one is Job 14, verse 14. The first question was this, why was I born? The second question was, how can man be just with God? In other words, if I did something wrong, what do I change? And then Job 14 is, if a man die, shall he live again? Now, one of the things I've been praying about, and I'm not really totally out of the, the soup yet myself, right? And I, I, spiritually, I'm coming out of the soup because I'm beginning to see what God is doing with it. Rather than say what he's doing to me, I'm beginning to see what he does with struggle, with pain, with tribulations. So, God answers him. And God puts Job in his place. And I think sometimes, brothers and sisters, in prayer, we've got to allow God to put us in our place. What does Michael mean? Who is like God? Quid as Deus. And I think God's kind of put me in my place. And notice what God says to Job, which he says to us. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. It's really good. Out of the storm, he speaks to Job. When we're in trouble and suffering, we're in a storm. We don't see what's going to happen. But here's the kicker. We're not supposed to see. Jesus didn't see it on the cross per se. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The saints didn't see it sometimes. But he says this. Who is this that obscures my plans? 
Notice, who are you to tell me what to do with you? Who do you think you are? Do you see the things that I see? No, I'm God. I'm infinite. And it's interesting, infinity, right? We think about that word. We think it's like this linear thing, right? One action after another. That's not what infinity is. Monsignor Charles Pope taught me that infinity is when you see everything at once. You know, when you, we go to heaven, you know why it's going to be so awesome? You're experiencing like this moment and it just doesn't end. It's all at once. It's not like, what's the BBD? You're in it. And you're stuck in it for eternity. So, he goes on to say this. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their season or lead the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook? Who's Leviathan? The devil. Are you able to like tackle him on your own? Do you have authority over him? Only God has authority over him. Or tie down his tongue with a rope. Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? What he's saying this is that you cannot overcome evil and suffering without me. What does Jesus say in the gospel? Without me, you can do nothing. You know what has to happen before we really become followers of Christ? We have to be stripped of our self-reliance. We have to be stripped of our self-reliance. Now, you all know me. It's all with me about what? Willpower. And for the first time in my life, I can't will myself out of this. But I'm beginning to see it's supposed to be like that. That God has to do all the work. Do you know what my prayer in the morning is now? God, give me enough strength to preach today. To celebrate Mass, hear confessions, then meet the people you want. And you know what he gives me? Just enough to do that. Now if I say, can you give me the strength to, you know, rep out 225 12 times? <laughs> nope. But I will give you strength to do my will. And not a smidgen more. And that's how I've lived my life now for like six months. And God does. I, I was terrified to give this mission. I was like, I don't know if I can do it. I'll get locked up. I'll have a headache. I'll pass out. And I remember sitting in front of the Blessed Sacrament. like, Lord, if you want me to do it, you better give me the grace. Didn't hear anything. But I'm standing here. But I want you to think about that for a moment. Do you pray that way? 
Do you say, God, if you want me to, you know, go and teach, give me the grace. If you want me to raise my kids, well, give me the grace. If you want me to perform that surgery, give me the grace. If you want me to be a good litigator in that case today, give me the grace to do it. If you want me to witness to you, give me the grace. But God, only if you want me to do it. When we start living that way, what happens is our life doesn't belong to ourselves. It belongs totally to who? To God. And that's the heaven of it. Is that God wants to tell us essentially those words. Who is this that obscures my plans? Now let me talk a little bit about, you look at the end of this. In the text, he gets everything back. And he gets more than he bargained for. Now, when I read this text in my head, I'm thinking, all right, after five years, I'm going to be faster, stronger, the best preacher ever in the entire world. I'm going to have a mega parish with 6,000 parishioners and 1,200 donkeys. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily God's view. But he has been schooling me on one thing, and this is what it is. And I remember, I'll give you a couple anecdotes, and then we've got to cut it off. I have four minutes. One night, I was, it was it's Father Drew's, he's celebrating Mass, and I get a call from a parishioner from my parish at St. Cecilia's, she's dying in the hospital. Her husband says, she wants, you, she wants you to come. Well, what about Father Drew? She wants you to come. And I hadn't driven my truck in four weeks. All right, Lord, let's do it. And I told Drew, I'll pick up the pizzas. <laughs> we just get Lito's. I go over there, go to the hospital, I'm in tons of pain, but I'm like, I got to do this. I go in her room, and she just starts smiling. She's crying. I anoint her. I'm leaving the emergency room, and there's this guy, and he's screaming in pain. And he said, Father, I, I am dying. I am in so much pain. And it was so strange. For the first time in my life, I could relate to him. And somehow, I talked him out of his misery. And I said, hey, bro, when's the last time you confession? It's been a, quite a while. Let's do it. And I anointed him, and I said, look, man, there's something great waiting for you at the end of this journey. You got to believe in that. But the other thing I've realized, too, is that I was at one parish, and I'll share this anecdote. I was... I went, the, the diocese has been doing some stuff with me. They're like, they'll call me. I'll be, Why don't you go to this parish for 18 days? 18 days? For what? Well, they, we need a priest. Well, just go. And I'm like, well, why don't you just give me an assignment? Just go for 18 days. All right, fine. So my dad picks me up. We're driving to the parish. I have one of these episodes where I start locking up. I pull over into a Protestant church parking lot, and I just lose it. And I'm almost like... I'm like, Dad, I can't do it. And my dad looks at me and goes, yes, you can. Put it in a drive and go to Damascus. <laughs> it's funny, Damascus. <laughs> I'm 
thinking, wow, I'm going to get thrown off my truck, you know? And I got to tell you, it was hard. But I dropped bombs in Damascus. Because I said, I have three weeks to convert this parish. <laughs> and I got to tell you, God used the suffering because every Mass, there was like an hour and a half confessions. I'd preach, go in the booth, preach, go in the booth, preach, go in the booth, and then crawl back to the rectory. Next Sunday, preach, go in the booth, preach, go in the booth, preach, crawl back to the rectory. Preach, go in the booth, preach, go in the booth, preach, go in the booth, go in the rectory. Last day, I'm going to finish my last daily mass, and there's this lady in the back of the parrot, in the church, nice lady, she's always there praying. And she said, Father, will you pray for my son? I'm not gonna say his name. Well, you're not going to know. His name is Michael. Interesting, Michael. And she says, Michael wants to take his life. He's severely depressed. Can you pray for him? I reach in my pocket, and I just, the Holy Spirit said, reach in my pocket, and I reach in my pocket, and there's this metal thing. It was a relic of St. Michael's cave. I hand it to her and says, give it to your son, tell him to call me, I got a funeral, and I want to have lunch with him. She says, he's not going to come. Give him the relic. Give the relic. I'm coming back from the, from the funeral. There's a phone call. And my name's Michael. Can I talk to you? The guy's like my age. He used to be big-time athlete. Had big, you know, lucrative job. Lost to everything like Joe. The girl he was going to marry just walked out of him after he put $100,000 down for a wedding. Can you imagine? And then he found out his son might have cancer. He's only 10 years old. He says, I can't do this anymore. I just want to end my life. I'm like, okay, I understand. He goes, no, you don't. Yeah, I do. And I said, what hurts on you? He goes, my shoulder, my neck, my back, <laughs> your head? I said, four for four. I know what that feels like. I said, but can you still be a dad? Yeah. And what happens if you leave this earth and leave little man by himself? He's like, he'll be okay. That's not how it works. You know, long story short, he went back to the sacraments and I called him the next day. He said, I've got hope. I think I can do it. And I know he's struggling. As you know, we're all going to struggle tomorrow. But you know, really what this is about, where we get everything back, it's really about heaven. I mean, can you imagine if he just went and just did it and woke up and it wasn't heaven and realized this is for eternity? Eternity. Friends, life is so short. Compared to what's waiting for us, life is so short. And if you want a reminder of that, just walk a half a mile down the street and look at all the people that used to sit in those pews not too long ago. 
They don't have any worries anymore. They don't go to work anymore. They don't need any more surgeries. They don't have any more kid problems. And we pray they're with the Lord. So God has a plan. And he uses suffering to change our heart, but also others. And so I could say in some ways that I'm a lucky man. I don't like what God's doing to me. And no one likes suffering. Tomorrow we're going to talk about how do you accept it gracefully? In other words, how do you take what God has given you and say, okay, this is what it is. And this might be the rest of my life. But you know what? That's okay. Because if it gets me to my goal, it's worth everything. All right, so we'll end now. We're going to do benediction. And if you'd like to, uh, Krista Well is going to give a little wet witness downstairs about sort of her journey out of darkness into light, from suffering to joy, <laughs> uh, to hopelessness to hope. And tomorrow we'll have another lady who talked to me, and she was really funny. Her name is Nancy. And I told you a little bit if you were at the 12 o'clock mass. She literally was like, Father, I'm praying for you. I was like, this is going to be a great talk tomorrow. <laughs> it probably will be. And I tell you this, she'll be able to talk tomorrow, and it's not her, it's God. She could hardly get the words out of her mouth. She's in so much pain. And she goes, I can't wait to talk to the people in La Plata. Her story is amazing. But her story should give you what? Hope. One last quote. Our Lady told St. Bernadette of Subaru, I cannot promise you happiness on earth, but I do promise you happiness forever in heaven. Think about that for a moment when you get discouraged. Do we realize we are simply in a Lenten journey? And then it ends. And there's Easter.